We saw that the Word of God considers that what we do in our heart to at times be just as real as what you have done with your hands. What you have done with your heart to be just as real as what you have done with your hands. There's a road, there's a line that we cross where we become determined and willing to do something in which God sees it as done. We looked at the example of Abraham. Abraham opened up the door for us to have salvation because he was willing to offer his own son. But God actually did. He did it because, not because Abraham did offer his son, but because he was willing to. What we do in our heart is very real. Jesus even taught us that when you hate someone, you are guilty of what? Murder. Murder because of that hatred that is in our heart. It's a heart condition. We need to make sure that our heart is, is soft, that our heart is towards the things of God. We, we use the acronym, dug it up out of the archives, the old acronym, hoe. We use a hoe when you are cultivating a, a garden, H-O-E. We use that for hear, obey, and expect. Sometimes we as Christians have reduced that to hear and obey, but we don't expect Sometimes we have reduced it to just hear. But we need to hear, obey, and once we do, we need to expect what God is going to do. Abraham was in a place of expectation. He heard, he obeyed, but he needed to be in a place of expectation. Israel needed to hear and obey, but they needed to be in a place of expectation. They didn't go into the promised land the first time because they heard, they obeyed, but they didn't expect. We need to hear, obey. And expect. Last week we looked at the two laws that will move us in and out, in or out of the blessings of God. First, there was pride. A high, I gave you the definition for this: a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. Conceit, arrogance, conduct, conduct uh, displaying such an opinion of oneself as to be excessive. Humility, the quality of state of being, humble, modest opinion of one's own importance or rank. Of course, we use the word meekness for that one. When I operate in pride, I consider my rank to be above or equal to God. And that's a bad place to be. These laws, pride, the law of pride, the law of humility, these laws affect a lot of things in our life. We listed a few of them here. Submission. Obedience and my ability to discern between good and bad. That last one is huge. When you are caught up in pride, you cannot discern between what is good and what is bad. Therefore, you will take on to yourself things that are bad, thinking that they are good. And you will turn away from yourself things that are good, thinking that they are bad. We read the scripture in James chapter 4. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So we looked at this. Do, you, do I speak evil of others? Do I speak evil of others? That will tell me, am I a doer of the law or am I a judge of it? Which side should we be on? We ought to be doers. 
He goes on in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. In other words, don't make your own plans. Include God. Find out what he's doing. In verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. Well, we put at the end here, let me end last week, we said a proud person corrects those who do not ask, even those they hold no position over, and even when they are not present. Don't do that. That's a proud person. Don't correct people who are not present. The Word of God tells us that if we see our brother in sin, what should we do? Correct them privately. If they don't listen and it's a matter of importance, then you need to go grab a couple of people. And go and sit them down. But you try and correct people privately, not publicly. Don't be doing that. Well, we're going to get into First uh, Samuel today, chapter 2. But I wanted to give you a few things before that as we've been talking about pride. Pride is a detriment. Pride is an anchor. Pride will hold you back. Pride will keep you from the things of God. We saw in the Word of God last week that God resists the who? The proud, but gives grace to the? So we ought to be on the side of humble, not on the side of pride. I was meditating on this this week and was thinking about that and, and uh, came up with it. How can I avoid that? How can I avoid that? Pride. Now, we use this as an acronym. Half of your outlines have the acronym spelled out and the other half don't. That's because I remembered halfway through that we didn't, uh, halfway through the printing that they weren't, weren't all done. So if you've got one that has it filled in there, great. If not, you just have to put it in there yourself. But here it is. This is just so you can remember this a little bit easier. How can I avoid that? That being pride. How can I avoid it? First off, these are the things. This is where it starts. Pride comes in first off as a thought. This is how it starts. Comes in as a thought. Secondly, it comes once it comes in as a thought, it will progress to your heart. Once it's in our heart, it begins to produce in us actions, thoughts, heart, actions. And last, it will affect our talk. People who are in pride, their speech is different. They talk a lot more about themselves. They talk a lot more about what other people need to do to correct themselves, to get better. But they talk a lot about themselves. That's a person in pride. It comes in into your thoughts, it progresses to your heart, it will have an effect on your actions, and it will influence your talk. How can I avoid that? Keep it out of your thoughts. Once it comes into the thoughts, chase it out. If it has gotten into your thoughts it's, and moved down into your heart, you're going to see it in your actions, you're going to hear it in your talk. If you see it in those places, no, just tell yourself, I am in pride. If I am in pride, what is God's view of me? He resists me. That's not good. Is it good? How's it going to work for a prideful person to be in prayer? <laughs> it's not going to work too well. You're supposed to talk to God in prayer. And if, if he's going to resist you, it's not going to help out a whole lot. So we need to get out of that. We need to avoid that. Keep your thoughts. 
keep that prideful thought from getting. Now, here's how it comes in. It just comes in and it's a thought that says, how did, how dare somebody do that to you? Right? Ever had that thought come in? Why is someone treating you this way? Can't believe that they did that. And see, it starts off as a thought. But then after it starts off as a thought, what does it get down to? It begins down in my heart. How do I know it's down in my heart? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Is it affecting your emotions? If it is, it's down in your heart. If it's down in your heart, guess what it's going to do next? You are going to act on some of those things. And the Word of God, of course, tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we will talk that. People who are in pride, they've got this down in their heart. All you need to do is get them on the right topic. You get them on that person, you get them on that thing, you get them on that subject, and wow, it comes out. They're in pride. Don't be in that way. Basically, I put it this way for you. It's my mind, emotions, body, and mouth. They get affected by pride. My mind, emotions, body, and mouth all get affected by pride. As we said, it starts in the thoughts. It moves to your heart. It becomes an action and influences your talk. Now, 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 1, but we're mostly going to be in chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, there was a certain man of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Just in case you were confused with another one. Narrowed it down for us. <laughs> and he had two wives. How many know that's a, that's a good thing? That is not a good thing, is it? How many wives should he have? But he has two. All right, so he missed it there. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penana. Now, she had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penana, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, that's not good when you're talking about two people in the same house and describing them as rivals. And her rival also provoked her, to, provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. She provoked her for what purpose? To make her miserable. Have you ever thought that some people are messing with you just to make you miserable? Yeah, well, apparently here it is right there. It's right in the Bible. She lived with this woman and she would provoke her. I got kids and you don't. And she knew that made her feel bad, but she didn't care. She kept going about it. See how many kids I have? How many do you have? Oh, none. Oh, what a shame. It's too bad you can't give our husband kids. And she would do this. She would just provoke her. Just say stuff like this. And, and poor Hannah's over there. She's not picking a fight, but she's getting picked on. And so she feels sad. And her rival just kept doing more and more. And just making it worse. And so the husband would come in and he would try and help out by giving more to the wife who was being picked on. What do you think that did for the house? Yeah, we know how that was probably going around. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her 
Therefore, she wept and did not eat. This is year by year. We're not talking about a couple of months or a couple of weeks. We're talking year after year after year after year. She's had a few kids, a number of kids. They're growing up. And she just keeps doing this. So the husband says, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when... We're down to 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. I'm sorry, I just jumped down on you there. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fish hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the fish hook brought up. So they did, not, so that, so they did in Shiloh to all Israelites who came there. Also... Before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and daughters. Well, that's good. Now she can uh, uh, rub it in for the other one, right? Hang on just a minute. So Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the woman who assembled in the door in the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord... Who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of the Father because the Lord desired to kill them. All right. So here's the situation. We've got two priests. There are sons of the high priest. The high priest comes by, by uh, birthright. So the son of the high priest, generally the oldest son would be there, and it's passed on from one to another. And so the, the house, just like a king, the high priest, the house would be uh, there forever. Uh, and that's what God had actually promised, even Eli, you know, you walk before me all these ways and I'm going to make your house be established forever. And uh, he didn't do that. His sons were not walking in the way of God. So much so that they would come in and when the sacrifice was brought, they didn't care about God getting his part. They cared about getting their part. And so there were, there were a lot of things spelled out in the word of God about what to do with the sacrifice, how it was to be offered to God, what it was to be uh, accomplished. And they weren't doing it. They were doing it their way. And they began to get the idea. You know what? They're probably talking about each other, uh, to, to each other about things. It says, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of boiled meat. 
I think it'd just be great if we, had, if we could roast some of it. Here's what I think we ought to do. When people come in, they bring the sacrifice. If it's, a, if it's the cut of meat that we would like to use, let's tell them that we cannot have that. I don't think Ray's understanding my, my note. We'll have to put the other heaters back on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I saw you having trouble with them. That probably was my writing. I don't always write all that clear. <laughs> but anyway, help them out there with that. Um, so they would come on in, and they came up with their own, they devised their own method. We're going to do this. We're going to have this, this hook come in, and we're going we're gonna to dip in it. We're, we're not going to do it the way that they used to do it, but we're going to go this way. We're going to have it before the fat is burned off. We're going to have it before anything else is done. And we don't want to boil it at all. We want to roast some of it. So you just bring it here and we're going to take it home just like it is. Well, there's no sacrifice then. They're not involved in any sacrifice, but that's how they wanted it. And it got so bad and no one really said anything to him. His, his father said, you know, some things, you know, not, you, ought to, you ought to stop that. You imagine coming into the house of God and abusing it in this way. And your father says to you, the high priest, now stop that. You know, I kind of laugh at some of the people, you know, they have these big dogs. You ever seen a person with a big dog? You can tell they should not have a big dog. They probably shouldn't have any dog. They probably shouldn't have a cat. <laughs> but they got a big dog. I mean, a, a German Shepherd, a, a Labrador, a St. Bernard, a Great Dane, something like that. And they come on in and that dog misbehaves. And you know what they do? Now, stop it. Right? And the dog doesn't listen, so they say it louder. I said, stop it. That dog's not going to listen to you until you first off make it listen. You've got to be firm with the dog. I love this class we were in with, uh, with dogs. I think I've told you about it before, but we, when we first got a dog, my wife and I, we, we went to these classes, and they taught you how to train your dog. Well, they weren't really out there to help train the dog. They were out there to train us. That's what they were out there to do. They were out there to train us. And so they worked on training us, and they said, now, if you want to have a dog, you've got to be the alpha dog. You can't expect a dog to become a person. You have to become the alpha dog. And so if you're an alpha dog, if you had to think about this, and they were getting you to think things in dog language and think things about it like the, the dog would. You've got to take charge of this kind of thing. And so if you have a, you have a big dog... You know, you don't say, now stop that. You better be good. That's not going to work any, that's not going to do any good. What you got to do with a dog is you got to make it listen. You got to teach it that you are the, the alpha dog. He said, first off, first off, when you were going up the steps, the dog does not pass you on the steps. How many of you have dogs and the dog passes you on the steps? That's not good. You are not the alpha dog. The dog is. How many of you, when you go out the door, the dog goes out first? That's not good. That's not the alpha dog. Alpha dog does not go out the door first the alpha dog goes out first and foremost and the rest of the dog follows so these are things that you had to do you had to begin to do this and uh, one of the things that i remember this so much because we had this one lady who was in the classroom and she had a yellow lab have anyone ever had a yellow lab if you have had any other lab you have not had a yellow lab you have nothing to compare it to a yellow lab is a completely unique labrador it is it is energetic it is strong and it's very loving, but it's, it's very strong, and it has a lot of energy. If you do not want to exercise a dog on a regular daily basis, do not get a yellow lab. You are going to hurt yourself. Go out there and get a dog like we have, a little pug, who is very happy, curled up on your lap all day long. That's the kind of dog you should get. 
But a yellow lab needs to be exercised. And we're not talking about one time around the block. They need to be run. They need to be exercised. They, they have energy. They need that energy to be uh, gone out. <laughs> so that, this lady, she had this yellow lab, and she was, she was, I don't remember how big she was. I know she was, she was not very impressive in size. The dog was more impressive. And one of the things they gave us as an assignment was they said, all right, you, you have to do this, whether you're watching TV or sitting in the room, whatever it is, I want you to get that dog, and you are going to force that dog to lay down and not get up. This was the homework assignment. So we go home and we do this, and we, uh, we get on back in the class, and she says, uh, they said to her, did you do it? Well, I tried. <laughs> But he just wouldn't stay down, and I can't hold him down. He's a yellow lab. He's a big dog. He could pick her up if he wanted to. So he says, you've got to do this. This is imperative. You've got to exercise your will over that dog. And so he, he told her, look, if you've got to wear that dog out, you've got to take that dog around and run it around the neighborhood for an hour. Run it around the neighborhood. Get the dog tired. I don't care if the dog doesn't want to get up. I just care that the dog does not get up. That's all he cared about. And so they worked on doing that. And uh, I'm not sure if she actually, I don't remember that. I just remember that one class when she was uh, telling us about her hard times that she had. This is not how Eli should be handling this situation. He needs to be taught tougher with this. And he's not. And God gets on his case because he's not handling this tougher. So you've got two guys who, they were high priests. They were sons of the high priest. They grew up in the service of the temple. But a thought comes in to their, to their mind. You know what? We could do things a little bit differently. And that worked out okay. And another thought came in. We can do things even better. We can have the meat without, let's, let's not have it boiled. Let's just take it home the way it is. And that worked out okay. And nobody really said anything to them. And they saw some beautiful women by the, by the temple in service. Now, these women who were in service, this is a practice that had started way back in Moses. And was in practice during the days of Jesus. That's how long this had gone on that some woman would come into the service of the temple and they did not get married. They just were there in service to the temple. You might almost think of them as nuns. They weren't nuns, but you might think of them as, as that way if you want to get a picture of it. They were taking these women who vowed that they were going to live their life in service to the Lord and, and not marry and have kids and so forth, and they were taking and having sexual relations with them. Now, how they imposed that on them, I don't know. What kind of things they said to them, I don't know. But they did these things. And this is, this is what was going on. Can you imagine doing this in the house of God? With the people who were in service in the house of God. How far off do you have to get? Now, you don't get there overnight. These people are in pride, serious pride. They have exalted themselves over God. It's a big deal. And God may not have stepped in and struck them with lightning just yet. <laughs> but he has prophesied that this is not going to go on. And it's going to stop. Again, Eli says to them in verse 25, If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? <laughs> who do you got to be on your side? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Why did the Lord desire to kill him? People need to know you don't treat my house this way. And I'm going to execute judgment on them. You can go ahead and tell them about it. If they listen, you know, I'll, I'll do as I said. And I'll, I'll 
forgive people, but I want to judge them. I want to show people you shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. And don't think God doesn't do that. What was God's attitude to the people in Canaan? What was God's attitude to the Egyptians who uh, imprisoned his people? And you can keep on going on with a lot of other people that were, were that way. Now, there are three areas in your life. I think I put this in your outline for you. There are three areas of your life that will take over and dominate you. That if you let pride come in, pride will take over and dominate you in these three areas. We are going to look at one of them today. Now, Hophni and Phinehas, they were called to be priests. Eli, the father, was the high priest, which would mean that both of them were in line for the position. More than likely, it was the older one. And since Hophni is always the one mentioned first, I'm going to assume that he is the older one. But they disqualified themselves along the way. Now, verse 27 of chapter 2. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? Honor your sons more than me. When you fall into a place where you honor something else more than God, you have fallen into pride. It's kind of a hidden one. It doesn't jump out at you right away that that's what it is, but it's pride. Because you have decided that your way is better than God's way. You didn't. You honored them more than you honored me. Verse 30, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. If you are in pride, you are not honoring God. If you are humble, you will be honoring to God. That's another, almost another way of saying God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will rise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Now notice God wants them to do what's in his heart. What has happened was a thought comes in. Where do you think the thought comes from? We looked at the ways of, of Satan before. Many times we looked at the ways of Satan. The ways of Satan are he sows a thought. When he came down to Adam and Eve... And the first time, he did what? He sowed a thought. Has God really said? 
He sowed a thought. And that mushroomed into, into actions. That thought got down into the heart. The heart produced an action. What God wants is for his thoughts to become your thoughts. And when they become your thoughts, then those thoughts sink down into your heart. And your heart becomes what? His heart. If you allow his thoughts to become your thoughts, then your heart will become his thoughts. How many times does the word of God say to us, think on these things. Think on things that are pleasant. Think on things that are in the word. Think on things about the promise of God. How many times are we told in the word of God to think on these things? Because if I think on these things, and then these things get down into my heart, and my heart becomes his heart, and my actions become his actions, and my words become his words. That's why it's so important. That's why the Satan, when he comes, he attacks the thoughts. If he can get your thoughts, he can get the rest of you. All he's got to do is get your, get your thoughts. Guard your thoughts. Guard them. Don't let, how many know that Adam and Eve, or Adam was told to do what with the garden? Oh, just let anybody in here who wants to come in. No, what was he told? To guard and to keep it. Did he? No, he let the serpent in. And that serpent sowed a thought. And that thought got down into his heart. And that heart got down and produced an action. And then we had all this trouble. God said, I'll raise up someone who'll be after my heart. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Well, later on, this is going to be fulfilled in chapter 3 and verse 12. The word of the Lord came to Samuel in that vision or that, that visitation that Samuel had when uh, the Lord came to him and said, Samuel, Samuel. And finally, after the third time, Eli told him what to do. And he said, say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Well, this is the rest of that part. This is some of the Lord told him during that. In that day, he said, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile. Who did it? They did it themselves. You don't become vile because of someone else. You become a vile per person because of yourself. It's not your mom's fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's not your kindergarten teacher's fault. If you become vile, it is your fault. No one else's fault. They became, they, they made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Father did not restrain him. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That's a long time. Now, if you want to go on and read this on your own, read the rest of chapter 3, read into chapter 4, you're going to find out that they go into battle and the two sons die in the battle. They're out there, you know, being priests and carrying the ark and so forth. And they died in the battle. And news came back to Eli that the ark was taken and that both of your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And when you heard that, he fell over backwards and he died. So it just came about just as the Lord said. But I put in your outline that pride got into their hearts. When it does, it has a profound effect on my view of, of three areas. It has a profound effect on what I'm, Now, we're just looking at this. When pride gets in, 
it will alter your way. It will alter your way. The way in which you are to go. What is the way that we are supposed to go? The Word of God tells us that a good man, his steps are ordered of the... Your steps are ordered. means your way is made straight. Your may, way is made right by the Lord. He puts one foot in front of the other. Go here, go here, go here. He guides us. He directs us. Our way is made this way. When pride comes in, our way becomes corrupted. But there are three things that affect my view. When pride comes in, it has a profound effect on my view of three areas. Are you ready for these? First area that it's going to have a profound effect on. This is nothing new to you. We've gone over this in series in the past, but it's been a while. First off, what I should have. When pride comes in, it alters what you think you should have. There are a lot of people in this country, and we've talked about it before, who have an entitlement mentality. I think I should have thus and so. I should have a nice car. I should have a better job. I should have a better house. I should have. And it affects that. Pride comes in and says, you should have this. I should have that. How come I don't have that? I should have that. And we begin to affect all that. And, you know, politicians play into this people all the, all the time. We just had a big discussion over minimum wage. And uh, I've heard the, the best thing to discuss about that, where they want to raise it up to 10 I don't know if they did it yet, but I think they want to raise it up to $10 and something. You know how many people in this country work for minimum wage? It might surprise you. Under 2%. Under 2% of the people in this country work for minimum wage. Now, there are people who are, who are working that way, minimum wage, but a minimum wage job is simply a starting point. And then you get in there, and then you show yourself that, that you have value, and then you can you know, get paid more. That's the whole idea behind it. But when they raise the price from whatever it was, $7 and something to $10 and something, now a business, in order to hire somebody, has to say, when we bring this new person in, they are worth $10 an hour. How many of you have ever worked with somebody who you know is not worth $10 an hour? Yeah. Guess what job they're going to get? None. So we eliminated their job. Because no one can afford to pay them $10 an hour because they don't do $10 worth of work. That's bad news. Well, they're not going to get any better sitting at home. So what you want to do is to get those people into a minimum wage job so that they can begin to learn how to work. And most of those people, it's not that they don't have any skills. It's just that they don't want to work. I mean, how many times have you worked at places, not you, certainly not you, but other people who are there at the job, and they are upset if the boss gives them work to do? I'm here, aren't I? You want me to work too? <laughs> right? Well, yeah, that's why you're here, is to do work. I thought I'm just supposed to show up. And, you know, how many have ever been waited on by somebody at the register at a fast food place, maybe a Burger King or a McDonald's, something like that, and you can tell, oh, i got to wait on another one. I've already waited on two people this hour. Guess I'll wait on a third. What do you want? <laughs> right? <laughs> Their attitude is just such that, man, I don't, I don't even think they, they, they don't even want to be here. They don't want me to be here. Is that person worth $7 an hour? No, you want to you get rid of that person. You, this person is costing you business. They're not helping you out at all. You find them in the back sitting around talking, not doing the work. The, 
this is this is not good. We we don't want to do. We can't. You cannot ascribe. The government cannot ascribe a value to a job. Who decides how much a job is worth? The boss, the person who owns the business. He's the one paying them. If he decides that this job is worth seven dollars an hour, it's worth seven dollars an hour. If you don't want to work for it for seven dollars, then don't. Go someplace else. If he decides it's worth $10 an hour, it's worth $10 an hour. What if you got in there and worked for $10 an hour and convinced him that it's worth 15 Then you can get paid $15 an hour. That's a whole lot better than sitting at home. You establish the value. But you see, we get this attitude, what I should have. Then it goes against the things of God. It fosters an attitude of pride. You talk to these folks who feel I should get paid more. Are you doing more? Do you generate $10 worth of business in an hour? Because some people, I'll tell you what, they don't even generate $10 worth of business in an hour. Do you generate, do you, do you make enough money in, for the company for them to pay you more than $10 an hour? Well, I should have it. Why? Well, because I should. See, it's pride. I'm, I'm worth it. It's altering what you think your value is. What I should have. I should have that. Why? Because I should. I, sh- I should have that. You know, we've got an attitude now that a lot of people, not anybody here, in other places, a lot of people in America, we have this value or this, this idea that I should have a phone, I should have a car, I should have a house, I should have health care, I should have, and we go over the list, I should have all these things. I should have a big screen TV, and I should have a Blu-ray player, <laughs> right? Wait, I should have that. Everybody else does. I should have it too. No, it costs money. If you want those kind of things, go out and get a job and pay for those. You can have them. Just go out and get a job and pay for them. That's all. But there's nothing that says other people have to provide it for you. But you see, we get this idea of what I should have. It's a way for pride to sneak in. It comes in as a thought. The thought comes in that, Steve, you should have that. How is that person driving that kind of car and you're driving what you're driving? Yeah, I should have that kind of car. I deserve that kind of car. Well, this attitude comes in. What I should have. It comes in as a thought. You should have this. I should have that. No. No. (laughs) Don't let that come in. It's a door for pride. Here's the second one. First one, what I should have. Second, what I don't deserve. How many of you know some things you don't deserve? You don't deserve people to cut you off in traffic. Right? I don't deserve that to happen. They shouldn't do that for me. I don't deserve to be treated that way. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve... When we say this, we are changing the value of ourself. Don't do that. I I, I don't deserve to have that done. What I should have, what I don't deserve. Here's the third one. What I have earned. What I have earned. How many times do people think they have earned something with God? Well, God, I have done this for you. I've been in service for you. I've been to church. I've been studying the word. I've been praying. I should have. I should. I don't deserve this. I I have earned. These are these are prideful things. When pride comes in, it begins to affect this. I think about what I should have. I think about what I don't deserve. And I think about what I have earned. Some things ought to just come to me because I'm here. Some things I look at and say, I have earned them. 
I have done some things and I should have them. That's pride speaking. Get it out. When that thought comes in, you've got to chase it out. No one else can chase it out for you. Hophni and Phineas. Phineas, how do they get to the place where they are committing adultery with the woman in the temple? I should have this. I've earned it. I've been sacrificing my life and serving God. I don't deserve to have meat that's been boiled. I deserve to have the meat I want to have. This, this thought comes in. This pride that's come in and affected you. And it affects the way in which you go. The way in which you order your life. It has an effect because my view of myself will drastically change. And how you view yourself alters the way you walk with God. Be careful about it. It has this effect because of my view of myself will drastically change. I put this in your outline too. My view of who I am has been corrupted. I begin to look at who I am because of what I have done, because of what I deserve or don't deserve or what I have earned, or what I should have. This is my view of myself. I should have these things that comes right out of the pit of hell. And if you allow that to fester, to, to fester in your life, if you allow that to continue to go on, you will get deeper and deeper into pride to the point where you can be having adulterous relationships with the women in the temple and think nothing of it. Where you can be robbing meat from people who brought it for sacrifice and think nothing of it. When you can do this in the presence of God, in his, his place where the sacrifices are going on, and think nothing of it. Your father comes over and rebukes you and you think nothing of it. You have been greatly affected. I put this in your outline too. Overtaken by pride, I am more focused on what others do to or for me. When I am overtaken by pride, I am more focused on what others do to or for me than what I do to or for others. Not saying that you don't look at what's been, but you become more focused on it. People who are in pride are always talking about what other people have done to them. What other people should have done for them. I am more focused on what others do to or for me than what I do to or for others. It's huge. The one is, the, is God's way of looking at the world. The other is the world's way or Satan's way. And you are pulled right into it. Pride will pull you into one. Humility will keep you in the other. Our main focus is what am I doing for other people what can i do to other people to help them what can i do this is what we should be focused on instead our focus is on you know you sit down at the end of the day you talk with your uh, somebody who's close to you what do you talk about oh did you so-and-so did this to me so-and-so cut me off so-and-so took my parking place like we saw in the uh, the video that were there, and we, we focus on, on those things. What, when he put those glasses on, what was his focus now? What he can do for. It needs to be our focus, folks. When we go out into the world, we see how a lot of people are. 
and they're angry and they're hurt and they're doing certain things. But we need to look through those special kind of glasses that says they need something. God, what is it that they need? What can I do to them to help them? What can I do for them? And when we sit down at the end of the day, our conversation should be more about what we did for others, what we were able to do to help others instead of what others have done to us. Again, the thought comes in, it gets down into your heart. When it gets down into your heart, it has an effect upon your actions and influences your talk. When you sit down and talk about what others have done to you, against you, what others haven't done for you, what's that an indication of? I have fallen into pride. I am not in humility. A person overtaken by pride is more likely to think of someone else who needs to hear this than apply it to themselves. <laughs> That's so much the guy. If, if you are in pride and you were listening to a thing like this, you'd be thinking, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here listening to this because they need to. You know, a person who is humble says, I need to get better. A person in pride says, so-and-so needs to get better. Really easy to tell. It's not hard. I put this in your outline for you to fill that out. First off, the, when you see on the left-hand side, there's the prideful. How many people have ever been bowling? How many people? Put the, how many people have never bowled in their life? Never bowled in their life. All right. We don't have to go any further than that. Some, I was, if we did, I was going to say, how many people have ever virtually bowled? Because I've seen that you know, people like to do that. They get those, uh, what is that game set that they, they have? We, we, the, 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 the we thing. That sounds French there. Uh, <laughs> They, they get the thing and they do their arm and, you know, they're, they're, they're bowling and they're doing all sorts of stuff. All right. When you are bowling, there is a ditch on one side and there is a ditch on the other side. Both will yield the same result. No pins down. No success. The goal of bowling is to go right down the middle. Not quite right down the middle, just a little bit off. Or if you have the, the ability, I do not. I am just happy to get the ball to go down and somewhere into the middle of the set of pins that's down there. But, you know, some people, I've, I've gone out there with, with some of you folks, and some of you guys are real good. Now, Nicola, I've watched him bowl. He likes to get that, that spin right on there, and he likes to get it right over to the edge where it's just hovering over by the, not quite going into the gutter, just hovering over by that, and then swoops back in and comes into the middle of the pins. I don't try for that. I'm just happy to get it down. And get it somewhere in the middle. If it goes in a straight line, I'm okay. I have no problem with that at all. But, you know, the real good ones, they, they had that spin move that goes in there. And, and um, that, that's not me. I don't do I've seen some of the other ones. You, you guys can do that. And you can, you know, make it go all the way around. But the whole idea is when you get down to the center, you want that ball somewhere around the middle pin. And uh, knock them all down. And to, to see them go, go that way. Well, we, same way with our Christian walk. There's a ditch on one side, there's a ditch on the other. Try and stay in the middle. It's effort. It takes effort. It doesn't happen just because you want it to. How many of you have been bowling? And, you know, it, it's a simple thing, it seems. Just get the ball to go down the middle. And you would think if you did it once, then you just do it each time the same way. And how many times you go up there each time the same way, and one time it goes all the way over to the right, another time all the way over to the left, another time it goes all the way down and starts to fade off and hits that last pin. You get one pin down. And then sometimes it just kind of goes off on this side and you get three pins down. But it seems like you're doing the same thing. It's not easy to get that ball down there and get it to, to stay in the center. Here's the middle. 
The prideful are all in the one gutter. The humble are in the middle. And here's the other side. False humility. It's easy to tell people that are prideful. Humble is where you want to be. But sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing the people who have fallen into false humility. Now, prideful ones always are seeing the correction others need. Prideful, that's prideful people. Whenever something happens, I can, well, they need to fix this. They need to stop doing this. Prideful people can correct the world. They know what everybody's doing wrong, except for themselves. That's a prideful person. Don't get in that area. That's bad spot to be. Humble people are comfortable in knowing what needs correcting and what is good. A humble person can say, I'm doing okay in that area. I'm not so, I, I need to work on, this is the area I'm working on. They're comfortable in saying that. They know what areas they're working on. They know what areas they're strong on. They know what areas, all right, we can work on that, but I'm not working on that right now. If you came up to a humble person and said, oh, you need to work on that area. I know I do. I know I do. I know I do. And I'm working on it. They'll just do that. You come up to a prideful person and say, you need to work on it. I do not. I'm just fine in that area. What do you mean? You're probably telling me that because you have a problem in that area. You better get that fixed. That's a prideful person. Humble person, they know exactly where they are. And they're comfortable with that. You know, it's, it's not pride to realize I'm strong in the thing. We got that wrong idea. If the devil can sell you on a wrong idea of pride, then he can mask what it really is. And we sometimes get this thing, if I ever come out and say I'm really good at that, you're in pride. No, you're not. You just realize what you're good at. That's okay. You can realize that you're good in that, but you also realize, oh, I'm not so good in this area over here. <laughs> That's okay. You realize what you're good at and stay in those, those areas. You can, some areas you can grow in. You try and grow in. Other, peop, other times, it's just it's a body ministry. You know what? So-and-so is real good in that. Let's go over and get them. They're going to help you out with that. That's a humble person. They're comfortable in knowing what needs correcting and what is good. Here's the, the last one. False humility. Always seeing themselves as deficient. A person who is in false humility always sees themselves as deficient. If you come up to a person and you show them what the Word of God says, it's, oh, I need to work on that. Oh, I am not doing well on that. And you go over to a whole other area. How you, you know what the Word of God says here? Oh, I'm not doing well on that. Oh, I need to grow in that area. Every area, they're weak in, according to them. That's false humility. No one is weak everywhere. Some areas you're strong in. And you better be able to realize those areas that you're strong in because that's what you want to focus your, your strengths. When you look at a football team, football's over now. We're all sad about that. <laughs> but when you look at a football team, you will notice that there's a certain body type that lines up on the line. There's a certain body type that lines up in the backfield. There's a certain mindset that lines up at cornerback and safety. They have to have that mindset. A mindset of a cornerback at safety is don't remember the last play. If you remember the last play, you got burned on it, you, you can't do it. You have to get up. You have to keep thinking that you are the best every time you go out there. If you are in a cornerback or a safety position, receivers don't quite have to have that mindset. Uh, the, the defense side does. But you're going to notice that they're, they're built thinner. If you looked at a person and they are 400 pounds... Six foot eight, 
broad shoulders, large arms and legs, would you think that person is a wide receiver? If the person showed up and said, Coach, I'm a wide receiver. You are not a wide receiver. That is, that is not. There's an exception to this. How many of you know the, uh, the tight end that the Eagles drafted this year? Zach Ertz. He started out. I mean, he's a big guy. I mean, help me on this. You guys over there. Is it, what, 380? Three, he's not three, he's up in the 300s though, isn't he? Low 300, somewhere in there? For a tight end, that's a pretty big tight end. He started out as quarterback. He still can play quarterback as far as I know. He can still throw the ball. I, I, I would keep him on the team, you know, just as a backup quarterback. <laughs> throw him in there. Zach Ertz, he's actually got some speed to him. He can run. But um, they took him out of being a quarterback and they put him in at being a tight end and he excelled and became a high draft pick and had a real good year. But for the most part, you can look at a person's body type and kind of put where they ought to be on the line. You can see where their strengths are. If a person is 400 pounds, broad shoulders, large legs, large arms, those qualities will make them a less attractive wide receiver. Deshaun Jackson is a very attractive wide receiver. He's a very good wide receiver. But what is he? He doesn't weigh 200 pounds wet. He's short. He's light. But he's fast. It's, know what your strengths are. You have got strengths. It's okay to, to admit to those. There are some areas in your Christian walk that you're not going to be working on as strongly as others. They're okay. You're going to be working on some of these other areas and doing them. Humility realizes where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. And it's comfortable with both. That's humility. Humility is not denying that you have any talent, skill, or ability. That's false humility. Don't get into that. All right, we finish it off here. We know that God resists the proud. That's over in James chapter 4 and verse 6. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So too must I resist pride. I must get to a place where I resist pride. If pride comes in, I've got to resist it. I've got to recognize the signs that pride is coming in. Pride comes in as a thought. It gets down into my heart. has an effect upon my actions. It influences my talk. I've got to realize that's going on. When pride comes in, when the thought that comes in is directing me to point out the faults of others, to criticize other people, that is pride. Don't let it in your thought. Be on guard against it in your thoughts. Don't let it get in. I was sitting here in the worship service today. I almost forgot this. This dropped down on the inside of me. I hadn't realized this in the, before. But this dropped down. Have you ever heard, probably not you people, but other people, have you ever heard people say, well, I just can't do that. I don't think we can get that done. If you have a can't do attitude, you are in pride. I didn't realize that before. If you have a can't-do attitude, if you come up, if someone comes up to you and says, can you get this done? A prideful person will say, I can't believe that you would ask me to do that. How can you ask me to do that? Why are you putting that upon me to do that? I can't do that. No one can get that done. How many times can you think of people in the Bible that Jesus asked questions to and they had an attitude like that? Who can do that? Nobody can do that. Why would you ask me to do that? I can't do that. You can't. No one can do that. That is a prideful attitude. 
Because we serve a God who can do how many things? Most things, right? How many things? All. All, we serve a God who can do all things. We serve a God who can do all things. And out of our mouth comes, I can't do that. Understand this. We serve a God who says, I can do all things. The word of God even says, Paul says it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And someone comes up to you and says, can you get this done? And you say, I can't do that. That is a person who's caught up in pride. I have deemed that this is not able to be done. Therefore, it cannot be done. I told you before, one of my favorite movies, favorite scene in the movie, Apollo 13. The guys come into the room. They put all the engineers in the room. They have a table. They throw on the table all the stuff that the astronauts have and says, guys, we got to make this square thing fit into this round thing using nothing but what's here. And not a person on them complained. No one said, well, we need something else. They sat there and they figured it out and they used what they could and they finally came up with a way to make this square thing fit into this round thing so that they could filter out the CO2. That was the most amazing thing. Out of Apollo 13 was an amazing time in our country. I love what the one guy said. I don't know if he actually said it or not. I kind of hope that he did. He said uh, that this was going to be a disaster. He says, no, this, this can be our finest moment. This can be our finest moment. What an attitude to have. And he, they always maintain this attitude. We can get them home. We can get this done. And they did. If you have a mentality where if somebody comes over to you in your field that you are an expert in, that you are to do something in, and you say, I can't do it, shame on you. You are in pride. Repent and get humble. Father God, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. I don't exactly know how to do that just now. But you can help me. There's not a person in this church. There's not a person in the church in the world. Who should ever say. I can't do that. You may not know how to do it yet. But who's to say you can't figure it out. Who's to say God won't give you the wisdom on what to do. We should never say. I can't do that if i do that's a sign that's a sign what's it's a sign of i'm in pride i'm in pride now humble yourself let god work through you and god will do it we've all faced impossible situations we've all faced things that we we felt like we couldn't get, couldn't get through sometimes we were stuck in a place where we had no choice and you know what we got through it we found a way to overcome because you had no choice. Here's the real humble people. And the real people who move things for God. When you are not stuck. And you have a way out. And you still choose. To find the way. To get it done. That's when you know you've succeeded in the walk with God. You have got a humble walk. With God. Because you could escape. But you didn't. You stayed there. You say God. We can find a way to get this done. If you ever look God in the face, if you ever talk to God in prayer and talk to him in such a way, I don't think I can do this. Repent of pride. Father, you resist the proud. I don't want to be in pride. I want to be in grace because 
you give grace. You give grace to the humble. I don't know how to do this. But if your kingdom needs it, I'll find a way. To get. Is that the kind of people you are? No matter what, you'll find a way to get it done. You'll go to God and say, God, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you'll find a way to get it done. What would you do if you have two to four million people out in the desert with no water? Is it possible to give them all water and to water all their animals? Is it possible in the middle of a desert with no water around? Well, with God it is. How did the people of Israel respond? God brought us out here to kill us. What were they walking in? Pride. They were walking in pride. Don't talk that way to God. Don't ever talk that way to God. Whatever situation you're in, whatever ministry you are in, whatever it is that God has called you to do, you are going to be put in situations where it seems like you cannot get the thing done. Don't ever get discouraged. You simply stand up and say, Father God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't lose sight of this, folks. It's you who does it. But it is Christ who gives you the strength. It is Christ who gives you the wisdom. But it's you who does it. Don't throw up your arms and say, God, you have to do it. No, God does not do that. God works through people. He works through you. And he will get it done. But there's something that's going to be called on on your side. Don't be in the place of pride. And when God speaks to you and says, do it this way, you won't hear it. You'll resist it. Don't do that. God will speak to you and say, do it this way, Steve. Come on, do, change up. Do it this way. I mean, if I change, all right, we'll give that a shot. Wow. Don't be in pride. If you ever go to God and complain, if you ever go to God and say it can't be done, you are walking in pride, and God will resist you. But <laughs> get humble. Get humble. If people come up and speak things to you, receive them. Receive them. God is going to send you some things through people. We're going to look at some of that in the, in the next week when we get into to this further. There are three, three areas of our life that pride will tremendously impact. One is our way. We have two more to go. Your way needs to be the way of God. When you get caught up in pride, you will be taken off into another way. These guys were taken off in another way. God had a way for them. I want you guys, I want you guys to be priests before me. And I want to take your house and I want to make it an enduring house forever. And they changed that way and they went off a different direction and they died. And they never walked into the ministry that was there for them. They were intended to be the high priest of Israel. One of them was to be the high priest in Israel. Can you imagine that calling on your life? And that's what you did with it? That's what pride will do. Don't let pride change your way. Keep going in the way of God. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We thank you, Father, that the signs of being in pride are evident. We see them all through your word. You've given us plenty of examples of people who walked in pride and people who walked and were humble. We want to realize the signs and alter our thoughts so that our heart 
is conformed to you and not conformed by pride. That our actions are born of a heart that is tender to you. That our words are influenced by that heart. But we have to stand guard on our thoughts. And when a thought comes in that who is so-and-so to tell you anything, we will say, no, no, no. When a thought comes in, you deserve to have this. We realize, no, 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 it's not a thought I need to entertain. We can see the signs of pride. We can stand against them so that we stand guard on our heart. We thank you for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. We got some, some praise reports. Anybody turn in some praise reports back in there? We do have a, a few of them coming on in there. If you didn't fill one out, you got some time. While we're reading these, you can be filling out one uh, there. We'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. Thank you all. If you have another one, just uh, write it up. And Amen. As they're coming up um, with the praise reports, I wanted to just uh, reiterate um, in the bulletin that the uh, schedule of events coming up, because a lot of things are coming at us quickly. We've got a lot going on. Next Saturday is the men's breakfast. So, men, bring somebody, bring bring something to eat. You guys eat well from what I hear, too. Keith we does, eat well. Keith does a good job with that. Uh, no one leaves hungry. Making waffles and pancakes and all that good stuff. So bring somebody. If you are looking for friendship, looking for fellowship, bring somebody. Come on out. Uh, also, next Sunday, we're going to have our, or on the 16th, we're going to have our prayer time from 1 to 2. Um, and on that, I'm just going to share this real quickly. What we're, sh- we're praying for then is we're not praying specifically for anything. What we're going to be doing is ministering under the Lord. And that's, that's something that just kept dropping in me again this week. A lot of times we go to the Lord and all we do is ask for things. And yet how many miraculous occurrences happened when they just ministered under the Lord? When Paul and Silas in the jail, they were ministering under the Lord and the miracle came. You know, um, so that's what we're going to do. We don't do enough of that. I know I, I've, I've been watching sometimes, and people, they get uncomfortable when you tell them to come. We're going to come and just minister to God. They begin to turn around asking him for things. And we're going to just come and minister to him and see what he's going to do for us. Because um, I'm, I'm expecting some great things. Um, on the 21st, we have Family Fun Night. Now, this has been a night when we've had a, an awesome time before. We have snacks. We have games. It's just a lot of board games, um, a lot of time to just bring people who, you know, maybe they don't have a church. Maybe they don't go to church at all. There's nothing church, churchy about it. It's just fun, just having games and fun. Then on the 29th, ladies' breakfast. And then on the 30th, we're starting our prayer and healing school. Um, and it's from 1 to 2.30. It's going to be 45 minutes of prayer, teaching on prayer, the foundations of prayer, the different types of prayer. And then um, 45 minutes later, we'll be teaching on healing. Um, and, you know, for those who come across people who, have, who question whether or not God is alive, whether or not God is, um, you know, I can send you some YouTube links of a friend of mine. He goes around and he, he ministers primarily on healing. And he sent me one this morning, and it just blessed me so much. There was a little 8-year-old boy that he ministered to in, in Puerto Rico who had, um, I'm assuming it was MS. He was just jerking all over. He couldn't control himself. He's never walked by himself. He's always had to be, be held up and be, uh, you know, escorted places. They laid hands on him, and in six minutes, that kid was running by himself, unattended. So, you know, these are the signs and wonders that I'm expecting to happen in every Bible-believing church. I don't care whether it's, it's a Catholic church, they're Bible-believing, they believe Jesus is the healer, it's going to happen there. Protestant church, uh, wherever. Um, and then the rest of them for April, those are the cover dish dinner we have, and then again, the 
stay on. So continue to look for these things. Bring people out. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun. Yes, I'll celebrate this one too. This is a praise report from the Bacons. It said, this week we celebrated a very happy and healthy six-month birthday from my little one. Six months old. That went way so quick, way too quick. Susan has one. She says, praise God. Mom is recovering well from her broken hip. Um, and I'm also fully recovered from, almost fully recovered from the upper respiratory infection. Amen. We prayed for a very speedy recovery for Anna. And I, I'm reading the, the reports on Facebook. It's like the next day after her surgery. We went to see her. was the day after her surgery. And this woman sitting up in bed, and she's totally coherent, hardly any pain medication. I mean, just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Miss Gladys says, I was on my, my way out of the store and came in contact with a woman. She was talking to me, and the Lord told me to listen to what she was saying. The Lord started giving scriptures that's what it says, that I was able to share with her. She's a believer and was receptive. It turns out that she, was, she has a speaking engagement today at 2.30 and needed to hear the word. Mm-hmm. However, I, too, received encouragement and felt that she was a tremendous blessing at what she had to say as well. well praise God for divine appointments there. Um, Roshan has one. She says, I need to go to California to check on my mom and also... Um, want to attend my high school reunion. I was checking airfare, and it's quite more than I want to spend at this time. On Friday, Alexis left Pittsburgh for her spring break. Her connecting flight was overbooked, so they asked for volunteers to go to D.C. instead of Philadelphia. She volunteered and was given a transferable voucher and called me to tell me that it's being mailed to me, and so she can use it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like how God works these things out. Mandy said um, she had, oh, four praise reports. Can you hold Mm -hmm. Did I do that? Um, first she said, I had a night all to myself Friday. <laughs> no kids? <laughs> Amen. Okay. I got my cooking done for the whole week. That's a good deal. Um, it took a while, but our family has a new budget. Praise mm. God. Uh, <laughs> my preemie, four-pound baby, turns five this month. Mm-hmm. He's strong and has perfect lungs. Yes, he does. <laughs> It's going to be five. Okay, Peter says, a few days ago I was diagnosed with mono and told I would feel the effects for two to three weeks. The next day my symptoms were gone, and now I'm 100% better. Praise (laughs) God. Who knows? We serve a healer. Amen. Anybody else have anything? 